Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Hi, everybody. Cheryl Atkinson here. Welcome to another edition of Full Measure After Hours. Today, an important update on our reporting about an Alzheimer's drug that was once hailed by some as a miracle, and we'll have a disturbing glimpse inside a San Francisco troubled neighborhood called the Tenderloin District, which is plagued by illegal drug dealing, drug use, and crime, with observers insisting the city and police are allowing it. I wanted to start today with an important update on some reporting I've been doing about an Alzheimer's drug called Aduhelm or Aducanumab, which you know if you've been watching Full Measure for the past year or so, this was hailed as a potential miracle for Alzheimer's, the first thing that could not just treat the symptoms, but perhaps actually cure early Alzheimer's. Everybody wants that. By way of background, this was something to be given as an injection every four weeks, and it was given the green light by the FDA, even though Not one of the FDA advisors consulted on the topic said that it should be approved. And one of the people I interviewed about this is one of those advisors, Dr. Caleb Alexander. He's an epidemiologist and an internist and a professor at Johns Hopkins Bloomberg School of Public Health. And he said that there was a consensus among the advisory panel that there wasn't the evidence to warrant approval. And I had reported earlier that important studies regarding this drug were stopped midstream before they could be completed because it was deemed by the drug maker and those monitoring the study that it was doomed to failure. It's called futility. It was performing so poorly. But within months, Biogen returned to the FDA, and this is what surprised so many people, claiming to have found some evidence of benefit within the stopped studies. It's very unusual that the FDA would take information from studies that were never completed and allow that to be used as a basis to approve a drug to market. But the FDA enthusiastically endorsed this drug without a single of the completed large studies normally required for approval. And this was exceptional, not just because the drug was very high profile with a lot of people hoping that it worked and wanting something like that, but the FDA was so at odds with its own advisory council members and also a bunch of professional outsiders. This was really one of the most disputed entries to market of any drug, if not the most disputed. That was followed by a tumultuous time on the market because, number one, it was very expensive, $50,000 plus per year to treat one patient. At least that was the original cost before the drug company cut that in about half last December when so few people were taking it. And there was so much concern over the way this was approved and why and how that investigations were launched in the Senate, the House of Representatives, the Inspector General, and even the FDA itself. As far as I know, those are ongoing. 
There was also some questioning about the promotion of the medicine. The Alzheimer's Association, which, as you probably know, is used by millions of people for advice. Well, it plugs Adjuhelm on its website. In fact, a doctor featured in a promotional video on the site is a paid consultant and speaker for Biogen who worked on one of the clinical studies. And it turns out, like a lot of these nonprofits and associations that advocate for something that sound like they're a patient group, they actually take a lot of money from the industries that some people thought they were overseeing or watchdogging or looking at critically. It turns out they're maybe more part of the industry than people thought. The Alzheimer's Association has received about $2.8 million from Biogen and its Japanese partner in recent years as the Alzheimer's Association was choosing to promote this drug. Now, the Alzheimer's Association told me when I asked them about this that the money is only a fractional percentage of the group's total revenue. That's the exact same explanation I got, by the way, from the Cancer Society years ago when I was asking them about industry funding they received from the alleged cancer-causing industries, and they wouldn't give me an amount. At least the Alzheimer's Association did. But when the American Cancer Society refused to give me the amount that was given to them by an alleged cancer-causing industry that I was investigating, who wanted me to interview the American Cancer Society, by the way, which I thought was interesting, they wouldn't tell me the amount, but just said it was a fractional percentage of the total revenue. The association involving Alzheimer's also said that these financial contributions from industry have no impact on decision-making, which is based on science. But then, besides all that other controversy, there were questions about not just whether Aduhelm even works, but whether it could be dangerous. There were reports of some deaths, and we know that most deaths with drugs, according to scientists, are not captured by surveillance systems. So whenever there is a single death reported, it is assumed that there are many, many more, sometimes 10,000-fold more actual deaths or injuries affiliated with that drug represented by the single report, which explains why some drugs are pulled off the market after what sounds like just a few reports, 25, 50, 75, or 100, doesn't sound like much out of a total population, but it's because scientists know those extrapolate into a much larger population. But when I last reported on this, at least four deaths have been recently reported, including a 75-year-old Canadian woman. And when I tried to find out what Biogen knew, because they do their own investigations in addition to the FDA, when I tried to find out what they knew or concluded about the death of the 75-year-old, which was widely reported, they just said they hadn't been able to establish her cause of death and that the three other fatalities that we knew about, quote, have not been attributed to treatment with Aduhelm. Now, piling onto all these problems, there are many professional organizations that I would say more often than not tend to, to side with the pharmaceutical industry on disputes for reasons that I've reported on before. So it's pretty unusual when these types of groups come out against a medicine. And that's exactly what's happened. The American Academy of Neurology issued a statement last November saying that Aduhelm is a high-cost drug approved by the FDA without convincing evidence of benefits and with known harms, including risks of cerebral edema, brain swelling, hemorrhage, bleeding, and hospitalization. And they went on to criticize the FDA, saying that the FDA's recent decisions indicate a lowering of the standards of scientific evidence used for drug approvals. And the American Academy of Neurology basically was advising its members to 
scrutinize approved medications more carefully, even if the FDA says they're okay. The following month after that came out, the British Medical Journal reported that more than 40% of patients in a high-dose study of aducanumab suffered brain swelling or bleeding, 40% of patients. And within weeks of that, the European Medicines Agency voted not to approve aducanumab or aduhelm. So really the outstanding thing left to talk about besides the ongoing investigations, when I last reported on this in the last month or so, was that Medicare was about to make a decision that would make or break Aduhelm's ultimate viability because Medicare is pretty much any drug's biggest potential customer, especially drugs that are used in older people. If Medicare pays for it or agrees to put it on the approved list for Medicare, that's a green light that's going to make a lot of money for the drug companies, so they really need that. If Medicare won't reimburse or pay for the drug, that's kind of the death knell for the drug. And as some watchdogs had previously stated, if Medicare decided to cover Aduhelm for patients, for let's say all the Alzheimer's patients or even the early Alzheimer's patients, the drug is so expensive it would bankrupt Medicare in a really short period of time. So that was concern too. But Medicare came out not long ago and said they were only going to pay for Aduhelm for the relative few Alzheimer's patients who enroll in very specific federally approved Aduhelm studies in a hospital-based outpatient setting. That's going to apply to almost nobody and certainly isn't enough, I would think, to keep Aduhelm afloat as a viable medicine. We'll see about that. But the development I want to tell you about today is that the chief executive of Biogen has announced his resignation. His name is Michael Vonatsos. He presided over Biogen during this rocky time, during which, as I described, the company halted as a failure of the studies on Aduhelm. The company convinced the FDA to approve the drug anyway, against the advice of all of the FDA advisors. The company then battled safety and effectiveness questions, questions about the cost, and then ultimately failed to convince Medicare to cover the treatment. And in addition, Biogen is reported to be slimming down its workforce and cutting its spending by a billion dollars annually. If you want to see my reports on this topic for more information, you can go to CherylAckison.com, click the full measure tab, and you will see a link to all of my cover stories. In fact, I highly recommend you visit this page and consider binge watching some of these cover stories that I've done over the years that are still ultra relevant. They're broken down by topic and date, and I know you're going to find stories that were not widely reported in most of the media over the past seven years that I've been doing full measure that you'll be surprised about, that you'll find informative and interesting and off the narrative and covered in a way that I think you would agree the news used to be covered more often without this sort of partisan notion or certain viewpoints being shoved down your throat with you being told you have to think a certain way or you have to believe a certain viewpoint. We don't do that. Now, on to the topic of my cover story this week for Sunday, May 8th on Full Measure. I'll be looking at a national problem as told through one neighborhood in San Francisco, the historic Tenderloin District. I recently visited there during a city-declared state of emergency to find out exactly what's going on. The historic neighborhood has become awash with 
drug dealing, drug use, crime, mental illness, homelessness, all to the horror of the many residents and advocates, by the way, almost all of them progressive, yet finding themselves battling the progressive policies and management that are apparently allowing or facilitating this problem. And it's costing taxpayers millions upon millions of dollars. So first to tell you what I observed when I went there, yeah, the neighborhood is a little bit seedy in some places as you arrive and walk around, just by the way, steps from City Hall and steps from a police precinct. But it gets really bad when you get to a certain crossing and you can just see it coming. And what you see is a street just lined, the sidewalks outside, crowded with people, leaning against storefronts, laying on the street, leaning against posts, sleeping, dealing, using drugs, selling drugs, everything, just a mob of people kind of operating this open-air drug market nonstop. And really, ordinary people dare not walk through there. I'm not saying you would necessarily be hurt. You might be hurt, but you would definitely, during the daytime, be offered drugs and sort of harassed and asked if you want to buy drugs because that's what most people come there for. And then at night... As you'll see in my story Sunday on Full Measure, it can be very dangerous. You will see video of what happened when we just drove our car by slightly after dusk. I also observed a neighborhood where many residents and families are trying to live their lives around all of this and wondering why the city isn't doing anything about it or doesn't seem to be, and we could find no evidence that they were doing anything about it. Also in this vicinity, there are some tent cities I went to look at one that's really basically at the foot of City Hall. Giant tent city area closed off and guarded by private contractors. They wouldn't let us in. Where I read in an article that the city is paying $60,000 per tent per year, which is more than the average cost of a single one-bedroom apartment in that area. So the city's paying for a homeless tent $60,000 a year. I also watched as children returning from school after they got out around the three o'clock time period had to be escorted by, I'll call them security guards. I don't know if that's what they call them, but there are special people who meet them and walk them through this area so that they can safely make it home without being accosted or potentially hurt. It's not a good situation. So for a little bit more about this, here's first a bit of an interview with Elise Gorberg, She's the communications manager at the Tenderloin Community Benefit District. That's the group that's helping with the school children escorts and also help lobby the city for that state of emergency. My first question is, have you seen any difference since the state of emergency? I think there are definitely areas in the neighborhood where we have seen some improvement. We've heard from some business owners that their business has improved and they've seen some more customers at times when, you know, drug activity is down on their block. But I think what we're really concerned about is seeing what will happen after this sort of three-month period that we've been in and what kind of sustained impact will will happen uh, from the city. It sounds like your group was among the advocates that was responsible for bringing this to the attention of the mayor or putting pressure on to get a state of emergency. 
So were you representing, in essence, or motivating families and the people who live here? Mm -hmm. I think at the core of what we do at TLCBD is amplifying the voices of residents, so children, families, seniors, and small businesses in the neighborhood and making sure that their needs are met and heard by the city. Um, We noticed kind of an uptick in violent incidents happening um, somewhere children were involved or you know just residents trying to go about their lives and we didn't see a lot of response from the city and um, we wanted to kind of amplify those those voices and those needs that the residents were expressing for for more safety and more action from the city um, and wanted to to hold the city accountable and, and get them to declare a state of emergency what's your hope for when the three months will be ending soon I think our hope was that, you know, we wanted to draw more of a sustained attention to the neighborhood from the city and make sure that they really understand that, you know, the Tenderloin is is as much a part of San Francisco as any other neighborhood here, and it deserves the same kind of attention and care. You know, there are families and children and seniors who live here and people who try to run businesses here who um, deserve to live their lives in a way that's safe and healthy and they don't have to worry about walking around on the streets. So we want to make sure that the city remembers that and continues to put this kind of attention in that they would with any other neighborhood. We were watching children cross the street and it looks like they're being escorted in essence by private security guards. Um, so they aren't private security guards. They are volunteers and part-time employees of TLCBD that work to make sure that um, the kids can get to and from school and to after-school activities safely. Um, How long has that been going on? Um, that program has been in place for about 14 years now. It started um, from a group of mothers who were concerned about making sure that their kids were were safe getting to and from school, and, and it was a group of volunteers that kind of grew into... Um, what we call Safe Passage now, which is a program that is run by TLCBD. Um, And, you know, this is a a concern with some of these mothers. And and one of the reasons we wanted this state of emergency is because we want to have, you know, the kids in the neighborhood feel safe walking to and from school. But in the meantime, we want to make sure that there are people who can advocate for them and make sure they feel safe when they're walking on the street. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. We are back, and now we're going to hear the story of Catherine Vaughn, who is a resident in the Tenderloin District and speaks for herself. The short story, what's the story of Catherine Vaughn and arriving here where we are today? Back in 2015, I became homeless, and I, I was living actually in Alameda. I am a third or fourth generation native of San Francisco. I had left because I had a job in Alameda and Chichi, no. <laughs> and then uh, I, I moved to Alameda in 2004. And then in, 2000, well, in 2008, I became sick. And for many years we spent trying to get me right. I was in and out of the hospital as such. I, and I wasn't, I had to stop working and I was living off my uh, profit sharing from my company. 
But then I guess the IRS decided they wanted it more than me, so they cleaned me out. And so I went from having about 7,000 a month to having 1,500, and I ended up on the streets. But when I came here, I ended up with the hot team. And because I had an oxygen tank, they were able to place me in the uh, Crystal Hotel. And then I was there for about nine months. From there, I went to the uh, Civic Center, which was an SRO. And then it became a navigational center. And then from there, I ended up at Heartland. What does SRO mean? Uh, single residency occupancy, Ooh. which is basically a room of about maybe from here over. Okay. It's just, it's, it's enough room for a bed, a dresser, So is and this a sink. is this housing provided by the city or the federal government or... I believe it's through the city. The managers are TNDC, which is just like TAC. Okay. It's, um, I paid 30%. Okay. Of okay, so that's sort of background because we're here covering the um, Tenderloin District <laughs> and what's happened to it, particularly according to the gentleman who introduced us to you. Since COVID, it's really, he says, gone downhill with the It's drug really deals. gone downhill. Just tell me what you've seen. Since I've been, I, I, up at the Heartland, it wasn't as bad. But once I moved down here, it, it's really hard. Because, you know, I I've, I've grew up in the city. I've lived in every neighborhood here. And I come here and it wasn't even safe for me to walk a pit bull. One of the we consider most dangerous dogs in the world. Yeah, I felt scared to walk her. Um, constant garbage in the streets. People laying around on the front of the building, shooting up. People passed out on the streets. Drug. I mean, walking up Turk Street, you could not see because there were nothing but drug dealers. It looked like a. It looked like something you see at Christmas in at the Emporium downtown. What you know? would you like to tell? people that may be in a position to figure out what's wrong and do something about it, what would you say? I would say, get rid of the drug dealers. I think this is, I think this neighborhood has a lot of potential, but if I were somebody who was doing a business, I wouldn't park it here. I wouldn't bring it to this neighborhood. And I think, especially with the pandemic, we've lost so many businesses, restaurants, um, everything should shut down and I think it has a lot of potential and if but they're not going to want to deal with the drug dealers and the crime you know gun shoots gun shootings going off every night people being stabbed people being assaulted they say they have programs here for the that's supposed to help the mentally ill where they're not here. They're not on our streets because you walk down any given street, you're going to see people laying around with needles sticking out of their heads. Out of the, Our children shouldn't have to see that. My kids didn't see that. Okay. Why just because we're in the Tenderloin do we have to subject our children to that? How come we have to subject our senior citizens to being assaulted? Why do we have to be afraid to go to the store to get even a can of dog food for fear you might get caught in a gun crossfire. We shouldn't have to live like that. It's not fair to us. We pay our rent. 
we pay, our, we put our revenues back into this neighborhood. We should have some type of peace and enjoyment to be able to walk the streets, not having to, I mean, I don't like walking my dog because there's so much garbage and filth all over the street. I don't want her eating something and getting sick. And that's bad when you can't even feel safe to let your dog walk the streets. And other neighborhoods don't have that. They have the freedom of getting up and walking to the corner to the park and letting their dog run free or, or being somewhere you can sit in a park and feed the squirrels. We don't get that. And that's not fair. And they need to recognize that and stop using the Tenderloin as a dumping site. It's, it shouldn't be a containment zone. That's how you see it? That's how I see it. They're using this as a containment zone so that they don't spread out to other areas. You're saying they accept the drugs dealing in Absolutely. a small part of town. Absolutely. They accept it. They figure don't touch it because if we touch it, they might move to Pacific Heights. They might move to Bernal Heights. They might move to, you know, another area where they definitely don't want it because they feel like it's all about the money. These are people that, you know, are bringing lots of revenue into the city where the Tenderloin isn't. But it could if you cleaned it up. I mean, I, it, it breaks my heart to watch this stuff. You know, I went out one morning at six o'clock in the morning to take her for a walk and it was all roped off. And a man hid down the street, got stabbed in twice and he collapsed in front of my building. Blood all over the street. I'm like, <laughs> I don't want to come out to that. I don't want to be subject to that. I want to be able to go out just like everybody else in the neighborhood and walk my dog and not have to worry about things. I, I don't have a solution. I just know I'm taking up the cause. And I'm starting with the city hall. Stop saying you're going to do something and then you don't do it. If you're going to do it, do it. Stop making excuses. Stop, you know, teaching. You know, I don't know. I, it kills me. You said it, it very me. well. Thank you. And it kills me. If you're very interested in a story, you can listen to my other podcast this week, the Cheryl Ackeson podcast, where I have an extended interview with an advocate named Randy Shaw. He's lived in the Tenderloin District for 40 years. He's very progressive, by the way, but pretty much at his wit's end with the way he says police, political figures, pretty much everyone around there seems to allow this open air drug market to go on unabated. You'll see all of this for yourself in the video and hear the city's response on full measure Sunday, May 8th. To watch the program, you can find a station near you by going to CherylAckison.com. Click the full measure tab and you'll see a list of stations and times. If you don't have a station near you, never fear. You can always go to fullmeasure.news and either watch Sunday live at 9.30 Eastern time at fullmeasure.news or you can watch after that. We post the programs by about noon every Sunday. You could even watch last week's program right now at fullmeasure.news. We also have an app that's free called STIRR, S-T-I-R-R, where you can watch Full Measure live or on demand, plus a lot of other cool programming, including local news in a lot of markets, maybe a market where you'd like to see how they're reporting the weather or what the news is in a former town where you used to live. But plus, there's entertainment and movies and other stuff on STIRR as well. 
I'm proud to announce the first student winners of the ION Awards for Original and Investigative or Off-Narrative News. This is an awards program that I've started and funded at two colleges, including the University of Florida, the College of Journalism and Communications, where I went to college. But I've also funded a professional equivalent, and I'm taking a call for entries now for good investigative or original off-narrative factual accurate reporting I'd like to reward that with a cash prize for professional journalists. You can read more about the Ion Awards, both the student awards and the professional awards, and read the student winning entries at my website, CherylAckison.com. I hope you enjoyed today's podcast and that you'll leave us a great review and subscribe and share it with your friends. Check out my other podcast, the Cheryl Ackison Podcast, and also you can support independent journalism causes like the Ion Awards by visiting CherylAckison.com and clicking the store tab because I have some thought-provoking and fun products designed exclusively for independent and free thinkers like you with proceeds benefiting causes in a really important time where so much of our information is controlled and so many propagandists are trying to limit and censor what we can see and hear and say. It's never been more important to encourage independent reporting. Do your own research, make up your own mind, think for yourself. 